Welcome to The Nonprofit Fix, a podcast about the nonprofit sector, where we talk openly and honestly about the many challenges that face the sector, where we will discuss current and future solutions to those challenges, where we explore how the nonprofit sector can have much more positive impact in the world, a podcast where we believe that once we fix the nonprofit sector, we can much more dramatically help to fix our broken world. Hi, everybody. Ken Berger here with Peter York for yet another episode. Uh, get ready because this one is really taking a look at some current breaking news kind of stuff that's going on where we think we can possibly learn some lessons that uh, many organizations could consider. And so we're going to start off with Peter explaining the specifics of the story that we want to talk to you about. Great. Welcome, everybody. Thank you, Ken. Uh, so what we're going to do uh, today on this episode is we're going to talk about the most recent news story around OpenAI. And um, we all know that it wasn't that long ago. My goodness, it was probably over the Thanksgiving break where we had the firing of Sam Altman, the CEO, and then the uh, coming back of, of Sam uh, to, to run OpenAI. The reason we thought this would be a very interesting topic is because of the structure of OpenAI as a nonprofit. And there have been a couple articles, and, I, and Ken and I have been doing our research. There's a couple good YouTube videos that are sharing some, some great information and insights about the way OpenAI is, is, is structured. And by the way, we just, thought, just, just for the general audience that may not know this, Peter, so this is the organization that has become famous because yeah. of it creating chat GPT, just to be yeah. clear. Yeah. yeah. Amongst many other things I will, and I'll share yeah. with you what the mission of OpenAI is. This episode, we thought it would be a good idea to share more about the, the nuts and bolts and guts of the uh, organizational structure, because it's a very interesting organization that began as a nonprofit. And then I'm going to share a little bit about its history and how it's evolved and then we're going to talk about what the implications are and have an interesting, maybe even, uh, you know, uh, uh, back and forth uh, uh, around what is this model? What are the implications of this particular model for how we think about the nonprofit sector? Many of you will recall that um, I have pointed out in a couple episodes previously this desire to think about the nonprofit sector and how we can grow it. Um, to see this open AI model is one model that I find intriguing and and how could it expand to others? But let's just first lay out open AI and, and what it's all about. We found an article on Medium. Uh, the author is Brandon Jin. Uh, it's a November 18th Medium article and we'll put the uh, the link in it. But rather than reinventing it, we thought this was the best article there was that kind of summarized this. So in the tradition of some other podcasts we listened to, thought, Let's just read uh, this article from Brandon Jin and be able to share what, what he's saying about OpenAI's structure. So the title of the article is How OpenAI's Corporate Structure Evolved Since 2015. OpenAI's structural evolution reflects a dynamic approach to achieving its mission of developing safe, beneficial artificial general intelligence for humanity. That's its nonprofit mission. That's how it started. Here's how it evolved in the past eight years. The Genesis, a nonprofit vision, and it started in 2015. 
OpenAI's journey began in late 2015 when a clear and ambitious objective to develop AGI or artificial general intelligence that is both safe and beneficial for humanity. The founders, understanding the magnitude of this endeavor, initially set up OpenAI as a nonprofit organization free from the constraints of for-profit driven motives. OpenAI launched with the goal of a billion dollars in donation commitments, but faced the reality, and this is part of the key that's central to this conversation, it faced the reality of high capital intensity. That means is you had to raise a lot of money and you had to do so through the nonprofit just as a nonprofit. Over time, the nonprofit received approximately $130.5 million in total donations funding its initial work in deep learning, safety, and alignment. Um, alignment is really speaking in the AI world about trying to align the AI with human values. So it was really about ready to take off. And you can hear there was a capital issue, needing to raise more capital. And there was a transition in its model, its pure nonprofit model, into a hybrid model in 2019. So four years later. So despite the noble intent of starting it as a nonprofit, it became apparent that the reliance on just donations wouldn't suffice for escalating costs of computational power. Can we can we can we yeah. pause there? Sure, sure. So so I think I think we really want to highlight this because one of the critiques that we've heard from a number of experts and we might even have another podcast related to this coming soon is that one of the fundamental weaknesses of all nonprofits, at least of a certain kind, is that basically you have to go, if you will, begging for money, and that the amount of money that you can raise in the traditional nonprofit model as charity really is limited. And if you have some desire to truly scale the organization, you're not going to be able to do it with the traditional tools of a nonprofit. So this this thing that they're confronting here is fundamental challenge. And this is and so now next I think where Peter's going is this is the way they went about trying to solve that fundamental challenge. Now along those lines, let me just reiterate a point I just made as well in re in response to what Ken just shared. They did raise $130.5 million as a nonprofit. So Which is amazing. That is amazing. That's so that's a mega. And, and and that wasn't enough in a particular area like AGI um, and AI, but because I, they realized they needed a billion dollars. Yeah, but I but I but I would I would just say to start. <laughs> but what I would just say to not to in any way minimize your point, but just to add a bit of nuance. It you know depending on the kind of nonprofit you are, the kind of even nonprofit charitable giving you can receive can can largely be driven by type. So if you are a tech IT company like this on cutting edge, you may have access to tech billionaires for charitable donations that a homeless organization down the street doesn't have access to. So, and I'm not saying that is an amazing accomplishment well, for a new organization. That's amazing. But I do think we need to also realize that you know, tech billionaires or or that group might uh, come at this where they might not normally uh, donate to some of the other organizations we typically think about. Well, 
you're speaking to ROI. At the end of the day, we're talking about a return on investment. And this was clearly structured as a nonprofit to keep its mission front and center. But obviously, it's a particular sector and a slice of a type of company, if you will, or organization, where there's a lot of return on an investment, as we're seeing, as we're seeing, they're still not profitable from what I understand, but they, you know, neither were many of the other big tech companies. It's just interesting to see how something like the tech space could get, could get led by a nonprofit. It still is a nonprofit. Oh yes. yes. So again, despite the noble intent, and now I'm, I'm, I'm reading again, please, please make sure you all know Brandon Jin wrote this article, which we just found to be very accessible and easy. Despite the noble intent, it became apparent that the reliance on just do- donations wouldn't suffice. So back to that point. Hence, in 2019, OpenAI innovated a unique structure, introducing, and I'm putting this in quotes, capped profit, a capped profit arm that while retaining its nonprofit core. This dual structure allowed OpenAI to preserve the core mission and governance of the nonprofit while raising capital through the for-profit subsidiary. The nonprofit remained the overarching governing body, so it had control over the subsidiary, control, voting control over it. However, that subsidiary, just so this is, an off, this is me saying this, was, was 51% owned by the nonprofit. So it did allow for investors and employees and others to be able to have resources, uh, investment, investment, I should say, shares, if you will, in the for-profit subsidiary. The nonprofit remained the overarching governing body. The nonprofit entity retains full control over the for-profit subsidiary, ensuring that every decision aligns with the mission of a safe and beneficial AGI. The hard caps on profits to investors and employees also ensures that the excess value benefits humanity. But we do want to say something along these lines, and this is me me talking now. The hard cap was a 100x return. Uh, we did a little bit of research, yeah. and for some of the biggest unicorn companies out there in history, 100x as far as we could find is unheard of yeah. in terms of the so so the fact that it capped at 100x it's very important to note even some of the biggest unicorn companies did not return to their initial investors a 100x return uh, yeah, it's just if i could if i could add to that so i think what we saw was the most profitable country, uh, companies that we're aware of for profit companies 30x is like at the upper limit. So to create something with 100x is essentially, as far as I'm concerned, completely bogus. And is just, as far as I could see, essentially a workaround to comply with uh, requirements to be a nonprofit, but also putting it in place. And so they're technically within the law and the regulations, but yeah. in reality, it's bogus and it's just, uh, you know, signaling to comply with a law and not really anything more than that. You're right. Correct. So the last point um, are this, is that OpenAI's board, it, comprising a mix of employees and non-employees, is the governing body that anchors the organization in its mission. This diverse group of leaders with varied expertise ensures that OpenAI stays true to its founding principles while navigating the complexities of developing AGI. So that's the end of that article. Um, I just want to add a few other points on this so that we bring this conversation all the context that it needs. Um, when we talk about this type of a, of a model, 
Uh, some of you may be thinking, is this even legal? And the answer is yes, if it follows certain IRS rules. Okay. So the IRS rules for a for-profit subsidiary that is owned by a nonprofit, they're designed to prevent fraud, right? And to ensure that the mission is not compromised. There's some key points that we want to highlight in this conversation that are important. And these key points are, are, are kind of the rules of the road, so to speak. This is what nonprofits really need to follow as rules. The nonprofit, one is the that the IRS does not allow, there's the nonprofit to for-profit transition. The IRS does not allow nonprofits to simply transform into for-profit entities. That's why the, the OpenAI still maintains its, its uh, nonprofit status and the nonprofit is still controlling the for-profit subsidiary. This is to prevent fraud. So you just can't take a nonprofit and convert it into a for-profit. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, you could start as a nonprofit, raise a lot of capital, then turn for-profit. It just becomes, uh, you know, a, 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 a game of what are they, the shells, you know, you're just moving the shells around. Second, ownership and control. The nonprofit entity can, can retain ownership and control over the for-profit subsidiary. Um, in the case of OpenAI, the nonprofit entity OpenAI Inc. retained ownership of OpenAI trademark and full control over the, 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 the subsidiary. Control means votes, by the way. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, ownership. Ownership is speaking to the, 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 the percentage of the uh, equity, if you will, or the, the shares, um, the actual investment capital. Uh, control speaks to who kind of makes decisions. That's a governing, uh, it's, a, it's an important distinction there. Three, we also have to note that there's another rule, and that is the unrelated business income rule. And so the for-profit subsidiary of a nonprofit can generate what the IRS calls unrelated business income. It's just that it has to be taxable, okay? This would be anything that doesn't fit in the mission. By the way, when you think about OpenAI, all the stuff that it's doing so far, it can be claimed under the mission. So it is not unrelated business income. And that, that, that yeah, so like the, the two, I think that, you know, from the what I've heard from about this, the two big pillars of what I would call workaround or ways to comply with the requirements of the IRS. One was the whole issue of capped profit for profit, mm-hmm. and the other is making absolutely clear that there's total alignment in the mission yes. of the nonprofit and the for profit. Those were the two overarching core things that helped them get past. Private environment yeah. and uh, and 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 the related uh, fiscal responsibility and whatnot; those kind of barriers that they might have uh, confronted, unrelated business income, all of that stuff, was by saying, "Well, it's the same mission; it's the exact same noble mission as the nonprofit." Yeah, um, and and I'm not sure if you're <laughs> intending a, a a skepticism in your tone, but um, but to me. Uh, when I see what they're doing, and by the way, they are doing a, a lot of research on the R and D, and and its mission, if you remember, is to strive to actually bring uh, AGI safely and all of its benefits to society. Yeah. So um, they've cleared the hurdle, at least from the IRS standpoint. Okay, I'm sure with that scale, by the way, and billions of dollars now going into open yeah. AI. Yeah. They've got lots of lawyers making sure they're not breaking any rules from the IRS standpoint. So the next thing to mention well, is- Well, called- you know, just, just to, to respond to your, to your question about my my tone is, I, I think that you can have lawyers that get you to comply with the technical requirements of the law and 
that to me is not the same right. as having your lawyers make sure that you comply with the law, but that you truly are yeah. the, doing it with integrity. Sure. And that whole 100 times capped profit, to me, doesn't pass that second um, yeah. hurdle. As to the mission part, listen, it, it seems like there's a lot of very exciting stuff going on, and you know, no, no one is perfect, but at least on that score, for me, it doesn't really pass the that second hurdle in terms of really meaningful. Uh, well, that's actually effort. getting to a different, a, a separate, maybe a separate point. So let me get there yeah. because the the UBI piece is the point I'm raising. That uh, I I we could we could debate. It's debatable if they pass the UBI test, the unrelated business income test, with all of their line, all of their subscription services, all that. At the same time. You you can get into interesting debates there, but the fact that that's debatable, but it does seem in in line with their mission, they and and it seems they are passing the UBI test at least from the IRS standpoint. We can debate whether that's true from an ethical standpoint. There's ethical and legal, so we we could talk about what that means. But but let me keep going because well, I, I yeah I want to ask you. But so let's just play it out another way. Let's suppose I form a nonprofit that's called uh, Good Teeth for Everyone. No, 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 just, just goodness for everyone. And the mission is to help humanity to be, to get better. Like that's the mission. And so you could drive a truck through that mission and you could do virtually anything and create a for-profit underneath. So if my for-profit is a tooth, tooth, uh, toothpaste company or my, my, uh, for-profit is a, you know, a, a whatever, whatever, you know, fill in the blank, you could make an argument that the mission of that for-profit aligns with the non-profit mission because it's so broad that you could, you know, drive a truck through it. So, you know, that's, again, I think it, the, one of the problems is that, you know, I, I've, you know, I've told you before about these, these crazy non-profits that do all kinds of things. And I think the IRS is very reluctant to put any kind of boundaries. And so, the boundaries of nonprofits is almost limitless from ghostbusters to, you know, pole dancing, uh, cross-dressing nuns. I mean, and I'm not making that stuff up. So that's why I, I, I just want to say it's sort of, you know, you could, I, I understand, I understand. And, and, and part of the challenge in the nonprofit sector and all candor is the fact that what you're describing requires some type of, a a body, uh, that can regulate, test, transparently evaluate, and see what's going on. See, OpenAI is in this circumstance where I, I think they're they're not the examples you're giving. Uh, I, I think they can make a very deliberate case, and and they have to be able to be more transparent because they're so huge. Yes. They're a whale in the ocean with yes. no other whales. That's true. And so at the end of the day, I get your point, and there definitely are a lot of nonprofits, but they're under the radar, and, and they're sneaking by, and there's not a lot of good... Uh, ability to challenge it. So what has to happen with what you're describing is there has to be somebody out there who's policing that, right? There's got to be some kind of way to essentially say, this is a bogus one. We're going to file a claim that they're not actually doing what they say they are doing. We have to have some kind of force out there. And I, I so in a lot of ways, there's the laws, just like you can pass laws, but if you do not have any enforcers, the laws become meaningless. And so what we're talking here at this point, and, and open AI is interesting, but Ken's, Ken, you're going in the direction I want to have this conversation around, because to me, the conversation that I think is the most interesting 
is what are the implications for OpenAI as a business model, not for OpenAI, but as a nonprofit, a, a, a way of scaling good that we've never seen before. And so, but, but before we go there, let me make the other points so that we have a, all, all the rules of the road for our conversation. So the, the, the next thing is that nonprofits have to have prudent management of institutional funds. What that means is they have to have a legal duty to manage their finances responsibly, okay? The, the UPMIF Act, which is the Uniform Prudent Management of Institutional Funds Act. Say that five times. <laughs> it typically requires nonprofits to diversify their investments to minimize risk. However, this dis However, does not apply if yeah. the investment furthers the nonprofit's there mission. Go. There you go. Okay. So again, yes, there you go. So third, private inurement. This is the other one. There's a concern of, quote, private inurement where nonprofit board members or employees gain unfairly from their positions. This is where I know you need to chime in, but just give me, let me finish this point. In OpenAI's scenario, potential conflicts arise from using nonprofit funded research to benefit a for-profit subsidiary partially owned by employees. And now we know Microsoft and others down in another way. It's gotten even more complicated. However, at OpenAI, their legal team did ensure compliance and, and uh, looked at this according to the, the, yeah. the all the news media. Right. Uh, but but that private enormous piece is one where Ken and I both raised our eyebrows around the hundred X because in a lot of ways when we think about it, you know, at what point is it unfair or too much? They say employees, but let, let, let's broaden it to investors. At what point yeah. is, the, it, is it too much? So the private enormous one feels to me like one that the 100X cap is, is yeah. something to note. Um, I, I will mention a couple other things really quickly, which is the hybrid governance model. What's really important to know is that the nonprofit board, it does fully control that subsidiary. That is why in the recent story, Sam was able to be fired. Yeah. But there's a and lot of people in the nonprofit sector that are making the point, the fact that he came back yeah. proves that it's not working. Yeah. Because basically what that means is if they fired him because at first they thought it was because of concerns that he was trying to be an accelerationist. He was trying to move AI so yeah. fast that it was unsafe. And so they didn't want him there. That's the good That's the good of the nonprofit. That's It should have been that way. Yeah. But what well, there, some are saying is now they brought him back because all the employees yeah. were upset about their investment yeah. returns. Right. And Microsoft was upset and everybody was upset. Big so it came money. Back. So all of a sudden we we go, really, does that does that governance model really work in this context? Again, I'm going to draw attention to just how humongous they are as a whale. So I don't know that they're a good example for a conversation about the generalizability of this yeah. model for others. But at well, the same time, it's important to bring that context up. So go, so, Ken. Yeah. So, so you know, I just want to, I mean, I, I, I told you my thoughts about the uh, 100 times capped profit. But, you know, I think for listeners, you know, there are a fair number of nonprofits out there that have a for-profit subsidiary. In fact, where I'm working now, we're, we're, we've talked about it, we're exploring it yet again, and I've got another organization I'm involved with. So, so it's a it's something that is frequently done, and and you know, cognizant of all the rules that Peter mentioned. But I think that the that one of the a couple of quick challenges that I think typically happen with those for-profit subsidiaries is number one, there's oftentimes a lack of expertise to run that. You've got your nonprofit model, and to be able to manage that 
is is a challenge and then also just the bandwidth you know you you know typical leadership staff are th- very thin running around and now you've got this whole different entity with a different model and different challenges and it can be a difficult thing to do but you know there are situations and there are other kind of hybrid models that 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 people use but my experience is typically they don't make that much money i think the thing that really differentiates this this one in this story is the fact that you then have this holding company and then underneath that holding company you've got a place where people can put in boatloads of money and so it's sort of like an unusual structure where you can have like a a, a, a large number of big investors in that um, capped profit because it sits below a number of layers, which we don't want to get too far into. But the fact that it's structured that way allows capital to come in that's different than the typical for-profit that sits under a nonprofit in those that you might typically see out there. And so it's that's something that is unique and differentiates it. And I guess, you know, for I think this is where Peter and I have, you know, when we we look at this challenge for for nonprofits, it's like, is there something here? In with all the all of the questions and the issues and the weirdness of being fired and coming back a week later and all that stuff. Is there something here for this challenge, this fundamental challenge of raising capital that could be replicated? Is there is there is there a takeaway here yeah. that all these ex- super expensive lawyers and tech people have created that could be a learning opportunity for other nonprofits to generate capital? It's a question uh, yes. that I have in my mind from listening to this. So along those lines, let's let's. Let's remove this from the extreme outlier of OpenAI, the whale, and 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 let's now move it into a scenario. And let me let me give you a scenario, Ken, and then let's talk about this back and forth. So let's say we wanted to apply this type of a model uh, to begin to address some of the things that I've been talking about on on our episodes, which is like I do wish the nonprofit were more than ten percent. I do feel like the profit motive is part of the problem with so much that's going on in the world. That includes the motive of profit that is driving a lot of our social media, that's driving our our polarity within the, all the debate, you know, our, our, our cordoning off and fighting each other and everything else. It's all, you know, attention adds money, profit. It's, it's, it's the profit motive. So just hypothetically, you know, and I'm not going to go, this is not the scenario I'm giving, but I just want to make a point. Like I've often wondered things like, there are certain things like social media. Like if you take Facebook and you said, we wanted to build a platform for people to be able to connect with each other. People have known each other for a long time, reconnect with each other from their childhood, be able to share their stories, their families, you know, what's going on. But yet, what if you put that under a nonprofit and it had a mission of just connecting people, you know, reconnecting people, long lost people, whatever that they, you know, and that was its mission. And instead of a, a 100x cap, you had a, a subsidiary that was owned by it. It was 51% by law, 51% owned by the nonprofit. It was 49% you could take on investors. Yeah, Those investors could take that 49% and invest in this organization. And let's say we capped it instead of 100x, we capped it at 10x, mm-hmm. okay? Or 20x, worst case, right? And so you allowed those investments to come in. Let's say on top of it all, you were able to bring in 
program-related investments and mission-related investments, which what that means is taking the dollars that are not the grant dollars from philanthropies all out there, but the corpus, which is where most of the money's sitting, and be able to use those for loans and investments in this particular company. Now, imagine if we had started a company like Facebook that had all the same features and tools and everything else, but the difference was it wasn't driven by motive. It was capped for profit. It was fully controlled by the, the the nonprofit governance model. So they could fire and do all that kind of stuff. We don't have the, they're not at the scale of open AI. So they're not about to take the, the, the CEO back because it's not like, you know, the whole world, including Microsoft are screaming and yelling. So if you take that as an example, or take even a more practical nonprofit example, and you've got a 51-49 split, fully fully governed and decided upon by the nonprofit board, you could take on investors. I like the idea of being able to bring in, the finally letting loose what I think is still kind of tight is the PRI and MRI money that is sitting in the corpus of all of these these grant makers. Start leveraging that dollars better. What could we do in the nonprofit sector with this model? Yeah. Um, so it's a question. So, but there, there's a lot of ifs there and a lot of, uh, I, I think the short answer I have to that is, I think there needs to be a lot more experimentation with tweaks to what we see here to see if other models that have some of these changes you've described are workable. So for example, when you talk about making it 10x rather than 100x, question, you know, you test the model and you say, well, will that draw the same number of shareholders and investors? Will that be attractive enough for them if the if the return is a mere <laughs> 10 times? Will, will that work? Uh, another thing is, how does this, how, what is, if anything, is there different about this model of like a 10x that differentiates it from a B corporation. You know, B corporations have the same notion of having, a, you know, a, a certain limit on the amount of profit, but they are not. They have the notion. I don't know how legally obligated they have to right. fulfill and, that and, notion. I well, don't yeah, know and, that. and I think that also depends. Like there are different kind. There's B corps that are they they're B corps in mission and statement. To your point, and then there are those that are certified B corps that have to comply right. in real in the real world with certain commitments, which is a much higher bar. And many B corps don't do that, and a lot of people don't realize that, so they think they're getting X when it, they might be getting Y. You know, the other the other thing that strikes me with this and with the the challenges of this. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't be experimenting and trying. And I, I agree with you that there may be some some something here but you know it goes back to one of our earlier episodes for me when i talked about that traditionally at the high level the differentiator between the for profit and the nonprofit sector is a question of mission where for profit's mission is profit and presumably nonprofit's mission is is to meet the mission, to serve the mission of the organization. That's their motive, rather. So it's profit motive or mission motive. But in the well, in, let me, but let me let me finish the thought. But yeah. the but the challenge that I noted there is that for many nonprofits, um, in spite of this problem of getting capital and scaling, nonetheless, a driver that sometimes causes mission drift and for organizations to lose their way is the growth motive as opposed to the mission motive. And so it it seems to me like part of the story here 
that that we're seeing is that uh you know when there's this kind of humongous amounts of money and growth 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 on the one hand you say well of course we need to have that growth because this is about you know the artificial intelligence being you know promulgated and spread and the and the research and technology that's required but at the same time uh there is a question as to well when is there an adequate amount of funds here and when are we when are we moving towards mission drift and i think that may have been part of what you were talking about there when you said that the board one of the theories as to why the board fired sam altman was because they felt that the mission that was supposed to be they were concerned we're going too fast like there's two yeah i i, I do want to mention that, yeah, that please, the, the current news media coverage on this and i'm an avid ai listener on a daily basis um has come to the conclusion that it's less likely that that was the original cause it was a lot of speculation mm. in the media uh, mm. but i just want to um well, did you have so, a sense of what, from your readings, do you have a sense of what? No, there still is a lot of lack of clarity on this. Yeah. Um, I still reserve a part of me that believes it was the safety issue. There are two camps in the AI space. There are what's yeah. called the accelerationists, and they are the ones that are really pushing to advance AI as fast as possible. And I think whether we like it or not, it's already happening because there's a race. There's a race between yeah. companies. There's a race between countries. You know, China's going to, you know, drive us. Everybody's driving us. So it is it is accelerating no matter what. Yeah. And I think the mission of OpenAI is actually right. We've got to be really thoughtful about safety. And I do believe that there were board members who are basically going, whoa, wait a minute. Even though the media is saying it really wasn't, they're, they're coming to the conclusion it wasn't. I'm still skeptical. Um, because I believe that there were those and, and there's the, under the, um, umbrella of effective altruism, one of the big areas of existential threat that the effective altruists believe, and they are a powerful force in many fields, including philanthropy, where their perception of one of the biggest existential threats in addition to the environment, uh, climate change, one of them is AI. And, and there are effective altruists that are on the board that are part of the employees that are a part of uh, open AI. And so I think this was um, the accelerationists versus the existential threat. And, and I think that there's some dimension of that. And I think it's being downplayed. And, and I still think that that's a real thing. To me, the issue with open AI that I think is, a, is wrong, in my opinion, is the fact that it, it, the market pretty much drove them taking Sam back. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have come back. I'm saying the fact that it was pretty much driven, the cause of him coming back was basically Microsoft and everybody else and all the all, all the staff, the 500 out of 700 that were going to you know mass exodus, which by the way, they are shareholders, I'll but bet. That's, but that's what I wanted to ask you, yeah. which is, so one takeaway here, if, 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 we, if we assume, let's just say, if we assume that in a in a in a better functioning nonprofit, if if the board, it's funny I'm saying this as I'm thinking about it, it's like it's ironic. But if a if a nonprofit board terminates a CEO, uh, whether they're doing it wisely or stupidly, and I've seen lots mm -hmm. of stupid ones, I'm an authority on this. But when they do that, the I that it should stick because they are supposed Agreed. to be the bosses and so Agreed. so so the one of the tweaks that might be considered here is if you're an employee you can't be an investor 
because you you have conflict of interest. If you on the yeah. one hand are a shareholder and then on the other hand you're an employee and you see the guy that's generating big bucks yeah. for you. So so that might be one of the tweaks. It might be it might be one of the tweaks. I, I I'm I'm not sure there's a number of ways of solving this problem. So for example, OpenAI taught us something, right? That in this model that that presupposes a primacy of mission, in fact, if the the ones who were worried about the safety of this happening too fast pushed them out and then the markets basically brought them back, then there are other ways to do it. You can either say, yeah, employees can't get shares, yeah. which I'm not sure I feel I'm, strongly I'm, about. I'm spitballing. I admit. However, however, <laughs> however, if they don't get shares, the point being is that I putting some rules in that if the board does fire the CEO, um, they, you know, there's a legal repercussion if you take them back and you find out it was market driven. I mean, you can, these are l lessons we can learn from the yeah. kind of, and that's my point. Part of what I'm trying to get at is any of these models don't just require laws, they require like regulation and they require mm. a way to enforce. Let me just make yeah. one other point that you talked yeah. about, which I just, you were talking about the growth uh, orientation. I'm very agnostic on is growth good? Is the growth not? Sure, uh, you know we've had some discussions about yeah, it this. Depends. But wait, but 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 the point is that when it comes down to it, I just want to clarify something. Profit is not the end. What profit is? It it in the for profit world, profit is something that ends up driving like the happiness of the shareholders. They get to bank that money, so to speak. So. In essence, we often talk about it as an end. It's all about the profit. Well, really what it is all about is the shareholders getting their reward, okay? Their return on their investment, I should say, right? That's that's what profit is in the for-profit model. I think it's a real problem in the nonprofit sector that we keep saying they're not about profit, they're about mission. That's not true. They're about profit to drive mission. So the profit has to come back into the organization in order to drive the mission further. So there's nothing wrong if that dollars comes back for research, development, anything that's enhancing moving along the the the, the mission of the organization. So to they say don't make, they don't make profit, they make a positive variance or a surplus. I'm not talking literally financially. <laughs> I agree. I'm not talking literally, but my point being is that there's a surplus in both business models. It's a question of what does that surplus do? What can it do? What's where the cap go? on it? Where does and where does it go? go? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. your point is very much on, on target there. I just think that as we look at this model, it does bear deeper discussion and ideation around how we should start to think of it. Because I think the nonprofit sector is still stagnating. Yeah. You could talk about growth all you want, but yeah. even the, the larger organizations, I don't know that they're really functioning at a level where they've advanced mission, to your point. They've just grown because yeah. they well, become the the, the 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 whales. Exactly. But in that case, it's the whales, but at least at least uh and we really do struggle a little bit with respect to getting that that mission so accomplishment so let, piece. Let, let me let me let me respond to one place where you and I <laughs> you know, have perhaps somewhat different views. You know, you talked about how it re would require regulation versus law. And so- Not versus. Or, uh, uh, it's very important that we have uh, appropriate Both. regulation. Let's just say- Yeah, we have you can't have, have laws without teeth. About, for, uh, let's just stick with the regulation for a moment. So, mm -hmm. so here's what I have observed. This is what I know over the years. And it actually had really has really- 
shaped my thinking over the years. And and I can't tell you if I had a nickel for every time my colleagues, whatever their political stripes, have expressed frustration here, that typically government, whatever bureaucracy I've worked with, at least on the state level and to some degree on the federal level, their ability to enforce regulations, to have thoughtful regulations that are appropriate and targeted and lasered in, in general, is a big problem. They don't have the technical knowledge. They don't have the staffing. They don't have, and you know, you have your, you know, what was called the military industrial complex. And maybe someday we can talk about the nonprofit industrial complex and people moving around the system, the lack of institutional memory in government. And so typically government is often behind the curve on these things. Wait, wait, then, wait, 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 not on tech, not on tech. Let me finish. Let me finish. What I have read, and you're you, I'm going to turn it over to you. You clearly have a different point of view, but everything that I've understood about where we are when it comes to technology and where our federal government is, and I don't, I can't even speak to state government, but my impression from what I've read is that that problem of playing catch up in regulatory environment is even worse the more complex and more advanced and cutting edge things are. And when it comes to chat GPT and AI in general, I, from what I've read, you've got an even bigger problem when it comes to government regulation playing catch up. So you're saying no. No, I'm not saying no. I'm not saying no that we haven't had a problem with regulation. The problem with it is because uh, it never goes that far. We pass the law, yeah. we spend the money, and we actually don't get... Right. our legislators to actually build in regulation because everybody says, oh, no, 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 now that we've gotten what we want, now that we've yeah. gotten the money, because by the way, government has funded the heck out of technology, the yeah. internet, everything else. I mean, yeah. AI is actually the first technology that didn't come out of government, okay? When it came down to it, all the big tech stuff came out of the military, yeah. it came out of other things. So sure. so the idea that government is not going to you know, do that kind of stuff, I, I get what you're oh, saying. No, no, I, I, the problem, I'm not saying the, no about no, the money. No, I know, yeah, I know. But sure. what I'm saying is the regulatory problem is not a problem of government doesn't know how to regulate. The problem is it doesn't regulate. And the reason it doesn't regulate is because the industries that want to be untethered and un, and not have all these breaks in the system have really managed to make sure that they aren't. And so well, I, I would, I would hype, I would argue that I don't, I, I, I don't think we've ever had teeth because well, in all candor, our legislatures well, uh, don't want to actually invest well, in, in, in the teeth. <laughs> it's, you know, th there's a term that, that's used called regulatory capture. Mm -hmm. Regulatory capture, and what I understand that to mean is that these larger corporations are more than happy to have a regulatory environment because if they capture the regulations, they influence, they are the experts that government turns to to help mm -hmm. create the regulations, and then what happens next is that it becomes a barrier to entry for smaller startup companies because these big whales, as we call them, yeah. are basically capturing whatever regulations there are. So it's not just the legislature. And again, no, of and, course, then, of course. and then who pays 
Who pays for the never-ending fundraising of those legislators and to get them into office? Who has the money to bankroll? So it's a it's a let, it's a let, vicious let me, cycle there. I oh hear you. Gosh, I I'm hear getting you. political. I better let me not. let me let me <laughs> let me come back to something that I want to mention before we wrap up here. We've got about eight minutes. Um, I just want to point out something. It's not okay to convert a nonprofit into a for-profit. That screams fraud. Yeah. What I'm going is this. What if we reversed it? Why couldn't we start to think about all those for-profit businesses that have a social mission, convert them to nonprofits, mm -hmm. and keep the for-profit part as a subsidiary, 49%, take on investors so that the investors can still do their, their work. I think yeah, there are a yeah. lot of for-profit models. And I was talking about social media. I'm talking about mm -hmm. like things that actually do or have the potential to help people. And the reason they don't, I think is because of the profit motive. If you, so, so what's the world, could, what could the world be like if both nonprofits could start to think creatively about adopting this model? And if for-profits that are in a, in a business where they really are trying to do social good if they were able to form a nonprofit and then bring on investors in a different way. And again, I'm going to say something here that I just think is really where I'm very interested in. I think there's a lot of dollars sitting in the corpus that is being invested in philanthropy. It's like if the payout is 5%, there's a whole lot of money in that other side of the, the investment. It's going into the stock market. It's going into other things. The 5 what could happen about his foundation's requirement to the payout? Yeah. Yeah. So they make, but all the rest is investment and they get a return on that investment. They grow their corpus oftentimes if they do better than 5% in the market. But the point is what could happen with that other, and there's plenty of energy and force going into taking, you know, program related investments. They can take their corpus and they could lend companies and those companies could be owned by nonprofits, the research and development. See the opportunity for the nonprofit piece is a lot of the R and D that is for good. The, these companies that are trying to do good, if they were at a nonprofit governance model and the profit motive was therefore not eliminated, but it was, it, it was controlled, right? And the governance of the mission was there. And again, we have to have teeth. I completely agree with you. If you're toothless, it doesn't matter. You have to have regulatory teeth. But at the end of the day, where could we go? I think there are a lot of for-profit businesses that are that are literally kind of sitting on the mission of social impact side, but they formed as a for-profit in the hope they'd raise more money, but they're not open AI. They don't have the transformational stuff like that. <laughs> and and so at the end of the day, they're 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 not you know, they're, they're not um, able to, to take their stuff to scale because they're sitting in this very weird fence place of like, we're a for-profit, you know, for uh, good, right? We're, we're, we're trying to do good in the world and they're straddling this. And I actually think that business model is difficult to invest in too. Yeah. And I just think, what could we do? We need to begin to explore and, and how could we start to leverage the one thing the nonprofit sector has, it is these laws it is the laws that we were just talking about that basically says if you are a nonprofit, you do have to have a certain ownership and control. You have to really pay attention to your unrelated business income. You can't go off, you can't go off the rails and just make money for your investors just because you want to line their pockets. 
you, the prudent management of institutional funds. You have to follow the private enormment rules. So That's if cool. you had that, but you still had the ability to make money and attract investors, especially philanthropic corpus investors, PRIs and MRIs, how could we start to transform a lot of the work, nonprofit and for-profit in these companies in a different way? Yeah. That's where I'm excited by. I'm like, mm, this is an interesting idea. I think there, I, I, I still do believe that they have been so successful with all of the problems that we were talking about and all the questions there are, they're, they're still, I still, you know, at the end of this, to your point, I think that there could be something here that could help with this fundamental challenge that nonprofits face. As to, you know, it being a, no, a more noble quest to have a uh, a nonprofit that sits on top of for-profits because of the problems with for-profits, uh, I think it depends. Uh, but I, I'm certainly, but I'm certainly open to there being more experimentation in this area, and I think uh, we should continue to explore these hybrid models uh, in our future episodes. I completely agree. So this was a fun discussion. It's our it's another episode of uh, the nonprofit fix. Thank you everybody for joining us. Yeah. Ken, do you want to say any closing words? Well, no. I, I, I guess you know. I guess the only thing to say is you know uh, the two of us are learning as we yeah. do these episodes, and so we. I think we consciously tried to mix it up a bit more this time, and we hope you found it entertaining and educational and that you listen to us again after this. By the way, the iron, last iron, ironic thing is we, do the, we did this one on Zoom, and I've got R2-D2 and C-3PO behind me, so presumably I'm all into the tech world, but the real expert has got a tree <laughs> behind him, and he's the, he's the tech guy. By far. So we're both trying to balance out our existence. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, this is a great, uh, I, I, I think this is a, a good one. It'll definitely hopefully spark some conversation too um, out there. And I do think it's worthwhile for the nonprofit sector to begin to at least expand how we think and ideate around the business models, because I don't know. I One thing I can draw a conclusion of is it, it's not working very well and it hasn't for a very long time. No argument from me. Um, and so we've got to figure out something. And Amen. so OpenAI has got its problems. Take the outlier element and and see what lessons there are at a, at a more micro level. And who knows, maybe it's another good idea. Thank you, Ken. Thank this you, This has been Peter. great. And uh, we'll, we'll go there. 